0: All right, so Matt, why does Han Solo like gum so much?
1: Like gum, huh? I don't
0: know. Because it's chewy. (laughs) (laughs) You warned me. I did. (laughs) I told you it's going to be bad. So it's hot again in both graveyards. So uh, if you notice sweat, we apologize. We're just, <laughs> we put our blood, sweat, and tears into this show. So that's right.
1: <laughs> more sweat this show than anything yeah. else.
0: <laughs> more sweat than normal. It's usually more tears than normal, but we're changing it up a bit. Um, real quick, we want to say go check out the Podbelly Network at podbelly.com. You can go on there and you can find some different shows to listen to. We're proud to be associated with these shows and proud to be members of the Podbelly Network. They're all great shows, so go on there and go search. You might find you some shows that you'd never heard of that you will absolutely love. So go over there, podbelly.com, check them out. We also want to thank tonight's sponsors, HelloFresh and Every Plate, and we'll talk a little bit more about them throughout the episode. So we say this all the time, but while you're on the internet, go over to patreon.com slash tales and sign up. You can Depending on which level you pick, you can see us recording these shows and get some cuts that I would cut out of the audio normally. Um, leave them in when we mess up or we talk trash to each other stuff like that, and you can see that um, a lot you of times. See us pick
1: our nose, exactly. We forget, you, know?
0: <laughs> you know, forget the cameras on and start picking your nose. Uh, we usually also talk in the intro of the episodes a little bit of personal stuff. So you can get some behind the scenes, personal stuff that way, if you're a $10 member, but we also try to put out one bonus episode a week, uh, minimum. So for all levels, you can get a bonus episode talking about things that we normally wouldn't talk about on normal graveyard tales episodes. So go over there, patreon.com right. slash graveyard tales. Also give us a rate and review. If you have not yet, thanks to everyone who has, but the more reviews, and five-star ratings that we get the higher up we're put in the chart so more people can find us and it makes makes it easier for people to get into the graveyard and we're always wanting to grow the graveyard so go over there if you have not and whatever platform you're listening to us on give us a five-star rating and give us a review say something doesn't matter what you say you can tell us about your bunions or give us a recipe that you really like whatever um, Matt's in the medical field, so he can help you out with those bunions.
1: That's right. <laughs> um,
0: but like I said, thank you to everybody who has already given us a rate and review. So Matt, that's all I've got for the intro. Um, since we're doing a different, uh, getting personal Patreon tonight, we won't jaw jack about anything personal here. So why don't you tell us what are we talking about tonight, brother?
1: Okay, so tonight we're we're gonna look at um, a UFO sighting that is not only interesting; it it, it's it's very polarizing. Um, There's uh, there's a lot that surrounds this, and it led to much of what we know about ufo research and investigation today Mm -hmm. and that is the kenneth arnold sighting now if you're not familiar with this don't worry um it's it's not one that when you start hunting for ufo sightings that just comes up um it, it it's there's so many others that are much more famous, that have had movies made about them.
0: Much more detailed, um, too. Than That's,
1: that's right. A, a lot more detailed. Uh, and this one isn't. But this one is remarkably influential in what, like I said, what we know today as UFOs and UFO research. Right. So, like I said, if, if you've never heard of this, I, I think you're gonna enjoy it, and and we've we've got some, you know, some ideas about it to kick back and forth. Um. So yeah, I mean, if if UFOs are your uh, your thing, then you're gonna enjoy this show.
0: Yep. And uh, like Matt said, it it don't feel bad if you're into UFOs and you haven't heard this case, but then again, you may have heard this case, and maybe we can tell you something you didn't know or. At at least make you think about something you never thought about before. Uh, But as we always say, go check our sources. They're down in the bottom of the show notes. Just scroll down and you can find where we found all this information. And you can find maybe some of the information that we left out for time's sake down there. So bottom of the show notes, check our sources. So first, we need to look at who Kenneth Arnold was. Because that kind of plays into this sighting, his... Just him being who he is, mm-hmm. uh, it lends a lot to this sighting. So uh, Kenneth was born on March 29th, 1915 in Sabica, Minnesota. Now, he grew up in SCOBY, Montana, and he was an Eagle Scout, and he was an all-state football player in high school. Now, he attended the University of Minnesota in 1934 and 35. So he didn't go that long, but he did attend the University of Minnesota. He he had basically a, a college career like mine. He tried it out <laughs> and then went nah. not for me. Yeah. Now in 1938, he began work for Red Comet, which is a manufacturer of automatic firefighting equipment. He was then promoted to district manager the following year. Well, in 1940. Kenneth started his own company, the Great Western Fire Control Supply in Boise, Idaho, which sold and installed fire suppression systems. And this was a job that took him around all over the Pacific Northwest. Um, It's kind of cool. Uh, that's uh mm-hmm. interesting business to be in.
1: Yeah, especially then. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in, in the 40s, um, you know a, f- a fire would break out in a building and uh, you know a lot of times it would just destroy it yeah you know because they didn't have the technology to to manage it immediately before the fire department could get there
0: mhm didn't have like you, you go into big buildings now public buildings or manufacturing buildings or whatever and every one of them has the sprinkler system yeah that when it gets hot the little capsule breaks and then the sprinklers turn on and it may not completely put the fire out but it helps suppress it some so he was kind of leading the way in this back in the 40s he you know may not have invented the thing but he sure got his foot in the door in the beginning of it yeah now in 1941 uh, arnold married doris lowe They then ended up having four daughters. Now, Kenneth was an experienced private pilot, and he often traveled to meetings that he would attend around the Pacific Northwest by flying himself in his small Call Air A2 plane. Now, he had logged at least 9,000 flying hours by this time, um, just of his being in the air training and going back and forth to his different meetings that's a lot of hours in the air.
1: Oh yeah. There's And the the thing about it that that plane that he had, I mean that that's pretty cool yeah. to to have a plane like that. You know, it it's got that standard, you know, the we're going to we're going to spin the propeller and jump in. Mm-hmm. It's a small plane, but it but it's really it's really cool looking. For that time and for you to be the guy that shows up to meetings in your own plane, I mean, you know, you, you carry some clout. You yeah, know.
0: right, right. Um, 9,000 hours from what I know is a lot of flight hours.
1: Yeah, suffice it to say, he was an experienced pilot.
0: Yes, yep.
1: So he, he'd spent a lot of time in the air.
0: Right. Um, he was also a very well-respected founder of the Idaho Search and Rescue Pilots Association. And that comes into play, too. And basically what this was is they, it was a bunch of different pilots that would go out and look for downed aircraft or people trapped on a mountain or anything like that. These pilots would go out, you know, they'd get a call um, to the Idaho Search and Rescue Association and say, like, the police department would call them and say, hey, we got somebody missing, da-da-da-da-da can you send a pilot up to help us look? And they would. So that's, you get a lot of flight hours that way. Plus that's a pretty Mm -hmm. well-respected vocation within the community there. Now on June 24th, 1947, Kenneth Arnold was flying from Chehalis to Yakima, Washington in his little call airplane that he had. Now, Arnold had read about a downed Marine C-46 transport plane that had crashed near Mount Rainier in January. So, with the skies clear and a little time on his hands before the meeting that he was going to, Kenneth kind of lingered over that area that he was flying there in hopes of spotting the wreckage and earning the $10,000 reward. Now, I've also seen it say that it was a $5,000 reward but either way, that's a lot of money for the 1940s. Yeah, Ten yeah. or five thousand dollars—that's a lot of money. Now, Arnold flew around a bit, and he didn't—he didn't find the C-46 plane, so he gave up his search shortly before 3 p.m. and decided to go ahead and proceed to Yakima. Now, at this time, that's when a series of bright flashes caught his eye. Now he looked over to the left. And he saw a chain of nine objects moving across the sky. Now, at first, he thought the objects might be geese. I, okay. I don't know that I'd think flashy objects were geese, but he, he did. And he quickly said they seemed to reflect an awful lot of sunlight to be geese.
1: And, and I, I looked at this because I thought, I thought the same as you. I thought, what? You know, why would, but but if they were in formation, uh, apparently, from above, the the way that you know the, the uh, goose feathers are, and, and the fact that they have that that same type of, of oily coating that mm-hmm. you know other other waterfowl have, um, they they do have a shine to them, and from above like that in the air, they do reflect sunlight. Huh, okay. So it that now for an experienced pilot he would kind of know okay that that bright little flash you're seeing down there that's that's geese, you know, and their backs reflect the sunlight when you're looking down from them. but you know, he immediately thought that's a little bit too much. These would have to be like special
0: reflective geese. Y- yeah. Yeah, they're <laughs> they're wearing their <laughs> nighttime high vis vests.
1: <laughs> they, they've all got those little those little silver warm-up suits you know they're 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 training
0: yeah, yeah right right <laughs> now you know he said it, it they seem to reflect an awful lot of sunlight quote as if someone had started an arc light in front of my eyes um is what he would end up saying so
1: now that that's really bright
0: yeah that's that's way brighter than a goose um mm-hmm. now they appeared to be moving incredibly fast fl- Incredibly fast, and he said they moved, quote, as if someone were skipping saucers on water. And this will come up several times, so keep that in mind. His quote was, "They moved as if someone were skipping saucers on water." Mm-hmm. Now Arnold figured the objects were 25 or 30 miles away and flying at an altitude of about 10,000 feet. Now I'll post some pictures in Patreon showing drawings of what Kenneth saw. So. If you're a patron, you can expect that. If not, you sign up, go over there, and you'll see some pictures that I'm going to post. Um, Now, as the objects passed the mountain, they were outlined against the snow that was on the top of these mountains. And he saw them flying in a, quote, V formation. So that's probably helped at the beginning for him to think they were geese if they were flying in a V formation.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder if they had, like, it was kind of like an offset V, you know, like geese will do. Yeah. You know, where it's not perfect. You know why they do that, right? You know what that means, right?
0: <laughs> I know where this is going, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> There's more geese on that side. Exactly. <laughs> as soon as you said that, I thought, if he doesn't hit this joke, I'm getting it because I can't let that, let that go. So when, when you then asked the question, I was like, crap, he got to it first.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> now, um, what he saw, he said, were objects shaped like a crescent that were 50 feet long but only three feet thick. Now they had a rounded point in the rear, but when seen edge on, he said they looked just like a black line. So keep that in mind. It It's a round, it's a crescent with a rounded point in the rear.
1: Yeah, it, it took, it took me a minute to kind of come up with what that looked like. Yeah. I, you know, in my head, what I saw was, you're 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 star trek guy you're not star wars guy right but in in the episode one you know that that came out when all the new star wars began mm-hmm. um they uh, n- the the planet naboo had these ships that were yellow and they kind of had in my mind what he's describing they were kind of rounded in the front crescent shape but they had this long point
0: yeah. that extended
1: yep. from the back um so they they kind of looked a little bit like that like the rebel logo mm-hmm. like turned on its side you know and that that's kind of how or, or like a stingray
0: yeah. you know yep. that
1: kind of shape
0: yep that's the, that's what
1: i picture in my head i don't that's that, not exactly that's, right but that's it's
0: really close because the the it, it's that except the tail it's not actually a tail like what you're describing. It's just a little bump out the back. Right, yeah. Um, in the middle back part of the Crescent. So um, there'll be those pictures on Patreon that you can see. Uh, but yeah. it is hard to picture if you don't have something to look at. Um, it, it's like the ring. Yeah, yeah, kind of. Kind of, yep. Um, but like we said... Keep that in mind, this description in mind as we go through that. That's what he saw. That's what he described. Now, it says, judging from their distance, speed, and size against the mountaintops, that the objects passed in front of and behind, because they were kind of going through the mountains there. So sometimes they'd be in front. Sometimes they'd be behind a mountain peak. Mm -hmm. Um, Arnold estimated the size of each one of these to be larger than a DC-4 airliner which is pretty big. Pretty big. Um, and they were moving at about 1,200 miles per hour, which would have suggested the craft were traveling at nearly twice the speed of sound. Now, the first Air Force pilot to break the sound barrier wouldn't do that until October, which was four months later. But I'm going to go ahead and pop this in here. <laughs> that That is the... Pilot that we know of that was recorded in history. Right. So if this isn't extraterrestrial, maybe it's something else. Maybe it's something that right. wasn't recorded, but we'll, we'll talk about that more. Um, now, it says when the objects faded into the distance, Arnold just continued to fly to Yakima, Washington. Um, and when he landed he immediately told the airport staff of the unidentified flying objects that he had spotted. Now, Kenneth was confused that it said that he didn't see a tail on any of these aircrafts like you would see on normal planes or anything. There there was no long tail. Mm -hmm. Um, But he initially thought that it was just an experimental military craft. So, I mean, that's a plausible thought to have and that's what we still to this day think sometimes when we see an unidentified object that doesn't look like any any aircraft that we know of you know right. a, a lot of times it goes to the well could it have been an experimental craft right but like i said once he was back on the ground arnold filed a report of his sighting and he, he said the objects, they didn't alarm him. Um, he had just assumed it was an experimental craft, so he didn't think anything more about it. But the military was baffled by his report. Both the Army and the FBI would interview Arnold and come away impressed with his, quote, character and apparent integrity, end quote. But they had no clue what he had seen or what might possibly travel that fast. quote, as far as we know, nothing flies that fast except a V2 rocket, which travels at about 3,500 miles an hour. An army spokesman in Washington, D.C. told reporters, and that's too fast to be seen. Yeah. And why would there be nine V2 rockets flying in a V formation? Yeah. And if there were, he wouldn't have seen them. Yeah. Right. Too fast to be seen. So it would have just zipped on by um now this next bit it's a little snippet from an article that was written by Martin So in June of 2010 and it's called the Singular Adventure of Mr. Kenneth Arnold Now there's a link to the whole PDF in the show notes that you can go and it's actually if you're into the technical side of UFO sightings this is a, a very interesting article and, and piece to read because he, I mean, he breaks it down like crazy, and I I just got a little snippet, and you'll see what I mean. It says, Arnold describes how the speed estimate was made when he landed at Pendleton by transferring the object's clock-timed 102-second transit between Mount Rainier and Mount Adams onto a map. Taking the distance between points near the summits, said Arnold, they kept coming up with about 1,700 miles per hour. Now, if they had meant 1,700 knots, which was nearly two uh, 2,000 miles per hour, this would imply that the distance between summits was about 55.2 statute miles. In fact, it is only about 48 statute miles. So, the 102 seconds over 48 statute miles does equal about 1,700 miles per hour, proving that they were measuring their map in statute miles. So it makes he, no sense to me. At yeah. All. Uh, he breaks the the whole thing down like that, the siding down like that. So if that's your if that's your gig, go over there and check out that PDF link in the show notes and you can get way more in depth into it. But basically what he's saying is the way he determined the speed of the object was by clocking how long it took to get from one peak to another. Right. Now he used a map on there to get the scale and figure it out. So there's debate on whether he was using statute miles or another form of measurement. And they did use the statute miles to clock it out. And the way they clocked it out, the 102 seconds from one peak to another ended up giving them the speed of about 1700 miles per hour, which is quick.
1: Yeah. And I don't, I guess I I look at things too generally sometimes because I'm looking at this. I'm going like, why why debate? It, it was going fast.
0: Yeah, you know, true. If, why if does it matter? If we're
1: gonna haggle over 300 miles an hour when we're talking about 1,700 to 2,000, I mean that's fast. Yeah, it's it's flipping fast. Yeah, I mean just one. say hey, these things were really booking it. I, I guess. By breaking it down to actually do this, it, all of that kind of pushes towards the validity of his story. Yeah. Um, cause he could have come up with any numbers and then they calculated out and they were like, man, you know, this, you didn't see anything going this fast or, or it's not as fast as you thought it was,
0: Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So
1: it was probably something else.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, Either way, they were traveling TFF too fricking fast. (laughs) Now, um, back to the rest of it out of the real technical article. Um, It says, quote, everyone says I'm nuts, Arnold told the Associated Press. And I guess I'd say it too if someone else reported those things. But I saw them and I watched them closely. It seems impossible, but there it is.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So, I mean, at least he's realistic about it. He's like, yeah, I mean, I I wouldn't believe somebody else, but I did see it. And it seems like it's impossible, but it's what I saw.
1: Well, yeah, if you're if you're of sound mind, I mean, when you if you witness something like this or or anything that seems completely impossible, you know that people are going to be like, you didn't see that you you, it's a mistake. You're crazy whatever. I mean, you you got to know that's what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And so he's admitting, you know, if somebody told me this and I didn't witness it, I'd, I'd think they were crazy too. But yeah, I, you know, I saw it.
0: It's a weird position to be in. Sure. Well, and like you said, you've got to be a little, you have to not be thinking properly. If you think that everyone's going to believe your fantastical story like that. You have to understand right. there's going to be some people that believe you, but then there's also going to be a lot of people that go, this dude's nuts.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He, I mean, we're just he, lying. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Now this goes on to say that Arnold described the objects as being quote, flat, like a pie pan and quote saucer shaped. So that's what the reporters wrote into the news story. And he was, giving those descriptions to kind of help you understand what he saw, because as Matt said just a minute ago, the the description of like, a, like an arch with a little rounded nub on the back, that's hard to figure out. Mm-hmm. So he was kind of simplifying it and saying they were flat, kind of like a pie pan. They were kind of rounded, kind of saucer shaped like that. Now, because of that, Headlines flash around the country of, quote, flying saucers. Right. Now, one notable exception in a uh, page one story on June 27th, just three days after um, Kenneth's encounter, the Spokane Daily Chronicle called them flying pie pans. So basically the same thing, but flying saucers is what stuck. Right. Now because Kenneth was such an experienced pilot and was so, uh, so much of a well-respected businessman, his account was taken pretty seriously by the press at the time. So that's why we said his background that we talked about is pretty important for his account here. It's what allowed people to maybe believe him more. And it had the press run with his story more. Now, A couple little interesting snippets here. A preacher in Texas at the time told his congregation that the sighting was a harbinger of doomsday. Yeah, we see that a lot when you Mm -hmm. get like even the the Phoenix lights that we talked about and everything that still to this day, people are like, well, that's doomsday coming and never is. But we we see that. And I mean, even back then they were doing that. Now, later that week, Arnold was actually in Pendleton, Oregon, for an air show when a woman in a cafe recognized him from the newspaper reports and ran out of the place sobbing, quote, there's the man who saw the men from Mars.
1: (laughs) There's someone that took him very seriously.
0: Yep, exactly. (laughs) Now, Arnold didn't really enjoy the publicity that he got from it in the least. However, Arnold did spend $150 on a new camera with a telescopic lens just to be ready if he saw the, quote, flying pie pans again. Yep. Now, this says quote, At that time, there was still some that thought Mars or perhaps even Venus might have a habitable, habitable surface, end quote. Robert Schaefer, an author of UFO books and skeptic, told Life's Little Mysteries, quote, people thought these UFOs were Martians who had come to keep an eye on us now that we had nuclear weapons, end quote. <laughs>
1: yep. They're keeping an eye on
0: us. Yep. And I mean, to be honest with you, there is that possibility because there's a lot of sightings around nuclear power plants. That's right. And, I mean, there there's reports of UFOs shutting down these nuclear power plants and then turning them back on mm-hmm. so I mean it's a possible it's a possibility um, and for that to be one of the first things that people start talking about that's interesting to me
1: yeah and and you got to realize too that there was not a, a mindset for this already in place so the thought process was very small. And what I mean by that is this idea that Venus or Mars, which are the, the two closest planets to Earth, that there could potentially be life there. I mean, they didn't they they didn't really understand the atmosphere of those planets. And what I mean by that is the general public didn't. Mm-hmm. But there was this idea that one day, you know, humans could could inhabit those planets. Um so the idea that there was already something there was a, a natural starting place right for the the idea of of UFOs and flying saucers and martians and whatever um so there wasn't this they're from another dimension they're from light years away all that that there wasn't that idea yet so yeah. We're, we're thinking on a much smaller scale here because we're introducing this to the public. Really?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say it's because this is one of the first major sightings that has been reported like this. Mm hmm. So, uh, which we'll talk kind of toward the end of this episode about ones that followed, but this is absolutely one of the first. Now, People will say, and I kind of agree, that we have seen these things flying for millennia, mm-hmm. but this is one of the first ones that hit the papers. People took this seriously, and it started modern colloquialisms and stuff around mm. UFOs. Now, this goes on to say that Arnold's sighting was, quote, such a sensation that, that it made front page news across the nation, end quote. Ufologist and author Martin Kottmeyer wrote in an article, The Saucer Error in 1993, quote, soon everyone was looking for these new aircraft, which, according to the papers, were saucer-like in shape, Kottmeyer continued. Within weeks, hundreds of reports of these flying saucers were made across the nation. While people presumably thought they were seeing the same things that Kenneth Arnold saw, they were there was a major irony that nobody at the time realized. Kenneth Arnold hadn't reported seeing flying saucers. In fact, Arnold had told the press that the objects had flown erratically, quote, like a saucer if you skip it across the water, end quote, and that they were thin and flat when viewed on edge, he said, but crescent-shaped when viewed from the top down as they turned. Nonetheless, a reporter named Bill Bacquette, of the United Press interpreted Arnold's statement to mean that the objects he saw were round disks. According to Benjamin Radford, a UFO expert and deputy editor of the Skeptical Inquirer, quote, it was one of the most significant reporter misquotes in history. End quote.
1: That's right. let's let's look how this kind of progressed. If, you know, we, we've already told you and described what, what he saw and you know now every everybody has got this flying saucer idea because of his description. So in 1950, uh, famous broadcaster Edward R. Murrow did an interview with Kenneth Arnold, who actually said at that time, since June of 1947, he had had three additional sightings of nine spacecraft.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: he saw him then, but then he had seen him three more times that either went unreported or there they just weren't documented but yeah. you know he brings it up in this interview now arnold later would would say that he had had seven additional sightings one of which involved a transparent craft that he likened to a jellyfish you know it you know you could kind of you can kind of see through it. It it's you know not not fully solid. You can see an outline of it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But during with the during like the, the interview, cloaking
0: cloaking device in Alien, the yeah. the Predator cloaking device.
1: Yeah, something similar to that. But during the interview with Morrow, Arnold explains what he actually meant by the term saucer, which Adam just touched on. Now Murrow says on three different occasions. Mr. Arnold was questioned by military intelligence. They expressed doubt as to the accuracy of some of his reported observation. Arnold says, that's right. Now, of course, some of the reports they did take from newspapers, which did not quote me properly. Now, when I told the press, they misquoted me, and in the excitement of it all, one newspaper and another um, got it ensnarled uh, so that nobody knew ex- just exactly what they were talking about, and Murrow says, "Well, here's how the name flying saucer was born." And Arnold follows up and says, "These objects more or less fluttered like they were boats on very rough water or very rough air of some type." He said, and when I described how they flew, I said they flew. Like a sauce, like they took a saucer and threw it across the water. Now, most of the news, newspapers misunderstood and they misquoted that too. They said that I said, meaning Arnold, that they were saucer like. I said they flew in a saucer like fashion. Mm-hmm. So that sounds confusing. And obviously it was because it, it led to something that he didn't even really see. But what he describes is if you took a flat saucer shaped object and you threw it like you were skipping stones across the water, it would kind of bounce and the, the trajectory would not be a straight line. It would be curved like it was bobbing up and down. That's what he described. That's what he says he saw. And so the the saucer description is talking more about their flight and not about their shape. Because we've already said their shape was like, you know, a batarang, you know, Mm -hmm. curved in the front with this little, you know, got a
0: little booty on the back.
1: Yeah. I mean, now that that's, that's what it looked like.
0: All right, Matt. So let's take a second and talk about one of tonight's sponsors, HelloFresh. Now, if you've listened to us, you have heard us talk about HelloFresh before, and that's because we love it. And you're saying, well, what is HelloFresh? Well, HelloFresh is a meal delivery service that delivers it right to your door. So with HelloFresh, you get farm fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. You can skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun and affordable. And that's the reason that it's America's number one meal kit. And HelloFresh is 72% cheaper than dining at a restaurant and is even cheaper than grocery shopping. That's money back in your pocket. And I'm going to tell you, Matt, it's also not only is it cheaper, but it's also a lot more convenient because I hate going to the grocery store. I hate dealing with the people at the grocery store. I hate looking around to see if I can find that one weird ingredient that I need for some recipe Mm -hmm. or I wonder if they have saffron at at the grocery, you know, and (laughs) if if you need it, HelloFresh sends it to you.
1: Hey, that's right. And, you know, they have got, they've always got something new, um, something fresh, maybe even something you've never tried, like their newest menu release includes Mediterranean recipes. That are filled with fresh fruits and veggies, nuts, olive oils, and fiber-packed whole grains for a nourishing balance. And when we get done here tonight, I've got Mediterranean uh, dinner ready to go. I love that. we yeah, we're man! Big fans, big fans. If you want me to make you hungry, think about the sweet heat shrimp tempura bowls mm. or garden spinach ricotta ravioli
0: i love ricotta one, ravioli oh my god
1: one pot creamy lemon dill chicken soup mm. i mean it makes you hungry just reading that
0: oh yeah it does um,
1: and and if those sounds like recipe those sound like recipes that you wouldn't normally make yourself then hello fresh is a great option for you because not only do you get the ingredients that you need you get this easy to follow recipe card Anybody can do it, even if people have told you you are a terrible cook. <laughs> I'm telling you, you can you can cook with HelloFresh, and people will think that you have become a trained chef.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's amazing. It's
1: fantastic. It's fantastic. And, you know, if you're a picky eater, um, there's a lot of things maybe you don't like or you, you're not big on trying new things. You can pick your favorites from 50 different weekly options and skip weeks when you need to. You can change your delivery date or update your preferences all in the HelloFresh app. It cannot get any simpler.
0: That's great. If you're going on vacation or something and you're worried that it's going to sit on your front porch until you get back and rot, don't worry about it. You can just skip that week and pick it back up the next. We've done that several times when we go on vacation.
1: Yeah, and, and it's It's great. You will will find uh, recipes that your entire family will love. Our kids love it. They get super excited when they see that Mm HelloFresh box on the front porch. So if you want to jump on this bandwagon with Adam and myself, all you have to do is go to HelloFresh.com slash graveyard 16 and use our promo code GRAVEYARD16, that's G-R-A-V-E-Y-A-R-D-1-6, to get up to 16 free meals and three free gifts.
0: That's right. So join Matt and I and I know a bunch of other Graveyard members because I've seen them in the group talking about it. Then all you've got to do is go to HelloFresh.com slash Graveyard16 and use our code Graveyard16, 16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts.
1: So Murrow responds with that, says this was an historic misquote. Why Arnold's explanation has been forgotten. The term flying saucer has become a household word. That's mm-hmm. by 1950. So only three years after he made this report, everybody knew what a flying saucer was.
0: That's wild, isn't it?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's how just, quick
0: that took off.
1: Yeah. I mean, completely. Even with him saying, this is really not what I saw. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Like, no, no, like, no, no,
1: no, no. Flying saucers. You know, we you, you got flying saucers.
0: You don't know what you saw. We but know what you saw.
1: A lot of people believe that this is a prime example of the power of suggestion. Yeah. I mean, if there were no real reports of UFOs and a credible witness says he saw saucers, then people begin to think of UFOs as flying saucers. You know, as time passes, visual representations of such a, quote, saucer. Saucer? Saucer? I, saucer. I can't, I can't talk. But, <laughs> but you know, of a saucer begin to emerge, which gives the general public an image to apply to future sightings. Yeah. But what if that credible witness actually never saw saucers? You know, as, Mur- as Murrow said, flying saucer had become a household word. It's like when Apple introduced the iPod, you know, at its peak popularity, Any MP3 player was an iPod, regardless of its shape, color, or the manufacturer. Right, right. And it even spawned other terms like podcast, (laughs) which we still use today, even though very few people own or use an iPod. Right. But the media said Arnold saw saucers, so every UFO became a flying saucer, and that term still exists today. Yep. Yep.
0: And it's really interesting. And this next little bit that I got kind of goes more into that. Um, this is from that Kottmeyer guy. Again, he says the phrase flying saucer provided the mold, which shaped the UFO myth at its beginning. UFOs took the form of flying saucers. He noted in artist renderings, hoax, photos, sci-fi films, TV shows, And even the vast majority of alien abduction and sighting reports for the rest of modern history up until the present day. Yeah, it's it's that's why when Matt and I were looking into this, we were like, we, you know, we don't do many UFO alien things. We do the ones that really fascinate us. Mm -hmm. But we couldn't not do this because it was such an influential sighting on all of ufology
1: right yeah i mean it 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 coined the term
0: Mm hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: and and what's what's so amazing about this is because it was a mistake yeah
0: yep, <laughs>
1: yep. A, a mistaken term and we've seen that in other things you know where somebody calls it one thing and that becomes the name for it yeah you know you, yeah. you whatever you describe something that You know, use an inaccurate uh, term, but that's what sticks. And flying saucer stuck.
0: Yep. Now, this is, quote, Baquette's error may not prove to be the ultimate refutation of the extraterrestrial theory for everyone, but it does leave their advocates in one hell of a paradox. Why would extraterrestrials redesign their craft to conform to Baquette's mistake? (laughs) (laughs) Kotmeyer wrote.
1: That's right oh they thought they saw a saucer well we might as well
0: yeah yeah
1: hell I would I, you know if they were aliens would, they wouldn't even know what a saucer was I don't know
0: no <laughs> I I, think, I, what, I wouldn't think what so is a, you know, what but is a saucer <laughs> he he makes a good point that mm-hmm. if you want to debunk the flying saucer myth then really all you got to do is look to this and say well, If you're seeing a circular saucer-shaped thing, why is it a saucer? Because Mm -hmm. they originally weren't. They were crescents. And the saucer came from a mistake. So that means you're making it up or something. Not that the extraterrestrials would, oh, well, we got to change the shape of our craft because this is what they expect. Right. But... Maybe they did. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe so. Now, this says, though he didn't see flying saucers, most of Arnold's contemporaries believe that he really had seen something that day. The Army report on the sighting states, quote, if Mr. Arnold could write a report of such a character and did not see the objects, he was in the wrong business and should be engaged in writing Buck Rogers fiction, end quote. (laughs) yeah um it says his account was very convincing now to kind of go along with that, there was a prospector on Mount Adams that saw the objects at around the same time as Arnold so it kind of bolsters his story. He wasn't the only person to see these objects
1: mm-hmm. that and that's that's really that's really cool because n- not only was this another person that saw the same thing, it was somebody that wasn't with him yes. Yep. And and saw them from the ground.
0: Yep. and didn't so, know him at right, all.
1: Right. And so they had a different perspective. Yeah. So y- you take those two stories and the time frame that they they were seen, and now you're you're beginning to say, okay. Take take the whole flying saucer thing out of the equation. It really seems like they saw something.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Kenneth actually saw something. Mm. Even if it was misquoted, he saw something. Right. Now, after the 1947 UFO sightings, Arnold became famous practically overnight, this says. Um, It says he was bombarded by the press trying to get interviews and statements, and Arnold's daughter would later recall that the family would receive 10,000 letters and constant phone calls.
1: Oh, God. Can you imagine?
0: No, I cannot. Um Arnold was apparently contacted by Raymond A. Palmer, editor of Fringe Sci-Fi magazine Amazing Stories, who asked Arnold to investigate the story of two harbormen in Tacoma who reportedly possessed fragments of a "quote" flying saucer. Palmer spent two hundred dollars to fund the investigation. So this incident is known as the Maury Island UFO, and Matt actually talks about this in the Ken Ross episode that we did so if you're interested in that go back and check that out Um, the Ken Ross incident we talk about the Maury Island UFO there
1: so you know being just completely bombarded by the press uh he didn't come he didn't shut down uh he gave plenty of interviews and this will give you an idea of how the media uh approached the, the reports and the stories. So Arnold was interviewed by the Chicago Times. And in this interview, uh, it says, you know, Kenneth Lewis Arnold uh, is not so certain that the strange contraptions are made on this planet. Arnold said he hoped the devices were really the work of the U.S. Army. But he told the Times in a phone conversation, quote, if our government knows anything about these devices, the people should be told at once. A lot of people out here are very much disturbed. Some think these things may be from another planet, but if they aren't harming anyone, I think it would be the wrong thing to shoot one of them down, even if that could be done. Their high speed would completely wreck them. Essentially saying, if we shoot it down, trying to study it, They're not hurting us. Why would we hurt them? Right. And then if we did to try to study the craft, we would probably just completely obliterate it because it's going so fast. Yeah. Now, Arnold, in pointing to the possibility of these disks being from another world, said regardless of their origin, they apparently were traveling to some reachable destination. Whoever controlled them, he said, obviously wasn't trying to hurt anyone he said they were making turns so abruptly in rounded peaks that it would have been impossible for human pilots inside to have survived the pressure. So he thinks they are controlled from elsewhere, regardless of whether it's from Mars, Venus or our own planet. So he's essentially saying he's not sure that they were piloted inside the craft. Mm -hmm. Now, You've got to remember that what he describes, they're only, what, three feet thick. So yeah. yep. it it would seem, unless they were really small, that it's unlikely that there was an actual pilot inside the craft. Right. So maybe, maybe they were they were remote controlled.
0: They, yeah, they could be. Um, the thing that I think, uh, if we're talking what he described and being a possible military craft, the one that looks closest to that to me is the B-2 or the B-21 stealth bombers. Yes. And I'm not 100% when they were revealed to the public. Um, it was in the but, 90s, wasn't it? I, I yeah I think so it was it was pretty um pretty recent comparatively but as we've said before it's not impossible to think that maybe they were developing developing them in the late 40s early 50s and they just didn't tell anybody about it but I mean pretty early to be doing that and then to have 9 of them I don't know, and it, yeah. it's not exactly what he described because he described rounded on the front with a tiny little bump. B B2, two, the B twenty ones, they've got that kind of swept shape with a little bump, but it's more of a V than yeah.
1: And if you look at like the uh, the F uh, one seventeen, the Nighthawk, mm-hmm. from the rear, it it looks more like what he describes. But again, yeah. it's it's much more angular. It's not rounded, really. But right. it does kind of right. have that that middle tail that kind of sits between the V shaped wings. Um, you know, so you know, Adam's right. You know there there are there are aircraft that we know of today that have a similar design. It's not exact, but these came around much later than. Than this uh, this particular sighting, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm not seeing at least in the search that I did. I'm not seeing when the the B two was actually announced to the public. Of course, we all know that they use these planes for a long time before they tell anybody we have them.
0: Oh, certainly. certainly. I mean,
1: I I mean, I think I've told this story on here before. I remember I had a I had a patient that was in the Air Force. And he was telling me, we, he liked to watch the military channel, and they were talking about um, the, the Blackbird, the mm-hmm. SR, was SR-71, isn't that what it was?
0: Yeah, I think so.
1: And so the military channel said, you know, they began using this in 19-whatever. And he kind of chuckled. And he said, we were using it way before that. Because he remembered when he was right about to get out of the Air Force, he said that he was stationed in Greenland. And he said, you know, it was it, it was like dusk for the majority of the time, you know, just, just like it is in Alaska and, and northern Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, so he said he was leaving the tarmac or leaving the tower and was walking across the tarmac. And they had heard that one of these planes was going to be coming there and he said it was it was parked on the tarmac and he said he looked up at it and he said in that weird dusk and that big long nose of that plane he said it looked way creepy he said but this was years before you know they they even announced that they had it so yeah they were the, the military was already using this plane you know they didn't want anybody to know
0: so mm-hmm. by the time
1: the public knows shoot you know they've been flying around for a long time which is why a lot of UFO sightings are attributed to these, quote-unquote, experimental military aircraft. They may sure. not necessarily be experimental. They may be aircraft that the military has been using for a long time and they just hadn't told anybody. And somebody gets a shot of one and, man, that looks weird. I mean, imagine if you saw a stealth bomber flying and you had no idea what it was. It would it would look bizarre. It'd be like... What the hell is that? So there's always that potential. And and the government is not in the business of just going, oh, yeah, we had that. You, you saw that. That was this. No,
0: they don't, mm-hmm. they don't
1: work that way. Nope. So there's always that potential. But you got to remember, Kenneth Arnold, that's exactly what he thought.
0: Yeah. yeah. When he saw it back first, then. That,
1: yeah, that is exactly what he thought. I mean, he, he wanted to believe it was that.
0: Yeah. Which it is easier to wrap your head around than something off planet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Especially then.
1: I kind I kind of jumped on Adam's point there. I'm <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I mean it, it, you 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 jumped on it in the right way. The the way I was hoping <laughs> you would.
1: So, um, he he was also quoted in an Associated Press story from uh, July nineteenth. Uh, of the same year. And he reiterated his belief that if they weren't army, if they weren't military, then they were extraterrestrial. I mean, Mm -hmm. for Arnold, there was no, there was no middle ground here. Right. You know, this is what he said. He said, these discs are not from a foreign country. Okay. And his thought process was no other country had the technology that the U.S. had at the time. That may or may not have been true. But in his mind, that was the thing. If there was going to be an aircraft that could do this, the United States developed it, not another Mm -hmm. country. Um, And he says the Army could give the answer if it would. He said if they don't have an explanation, they could certainly do something to find out. So this was essentially his call to action. Yeah. Saying, okay, if the military doesn't know what it is, then they should do something because they have the, the ability to research and investigate it.
0: Yeah. Go so, freaking figure it out. Yeah, Don't make so, me do it.
1: He says they either know what it is or they have the ability to find out. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then he says, if the army has no explanation, he said, and I know this sounds crazy. It's got to be from another planet. Now, in April 1949, in a skeptical article in the Saturday Evening Post, which was titled What You Can Believe About Flying Saucers, Arnold was quoted again, and he says, Since my first observations and report of the so-called flying disks, I have spent a great deal of money and time thoroughly investigating the subject. There is no doubt in my mind that what these objects are, they're aircraft of a strange design and material that is unknown to the civilization of this earth. So again, he he's hammering home the point that if, if we didn't develop it, then it's gotta be from another planet. Yep. You know, like again, no middle ground. And, and, and he firmly believes this. And, and I, I go back to say, Kenneth Arnold was not tin full hat wearing, you know, loony. He was a very well respected, uh, very well spoken, intelligent man. You know, he mm-hmm. was he was a, a, a businessman. He was a pilot. So when he says this, you you really got to think this man believes what he's saying.
0: Oh yeah, oh, he yeah, saw sure.
1: something which I I believe I believe fully that he did not make this up. That he saw something that he could not explain. Mm-hmm. And and he he felt deep down that look, it, the, there is an explanation for this, even if the explanation is it's from another planet.
0: And I, I mean I am with you there because he he is so sincere mm-hmm. and he stuck with his story. It didn't it it wasn't a wavering thing where one first time it was nine then the second time it was like seven and you know at first it was this crescent shape of a tail and then when the media got a hold of it he's like oh yeah you know what it was a saucer and right. he didn't he didn't change he stuck to his guns he knew what he saw and he said that from the day he saw it till the day he died
1: yeah i mean how easy would it have been for him to be misquoted and just go "Eh, it's it's too much trouble to try to correct him. No. Right. When asked, he he said absolutely. Now that's not exactly right. This is mm-hmm. what I really said. And they just took it the wrong way. Yep. So we're gonna dig into this what we said at the beginning, how influential this was. And we've already talked about how it you know, it coined the term flying saucer. It it gave uh the 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 general population an idea of a ufo and what it what it would look like and th- you know that led to a lot of stuff a a lot more sightings a lot more descriptions so in response to his initial report the increasing number of ufo sightings that followed caused the U.S. Air Force to begin an investigation of all of these reports. That investigation was called Operation SIGN, S-I-G-N. It began in 1948. Now, among the initial theories of the project's participants was that the UFOs were actually types of sophisticated Soviet aircraft, although there was also a hypothesis that they might be extraterrestrial spacecraft. Now, regarding Arnold's uh, sighting in June of 1947 over Mount Rainier, Air Force investigators deemed both Arnold and the prospector to be credible witnesses, but concluded that what they had seen was a mirage, not actual flying ships. <laughs> now, th- this is one of those things that you, you might as well just, just poke me, you know, and go... You like that, buddy? Hey, here you go. What about this? A A mirage that two people saw from completely different perspectives. How is that even possible? I mean, if you understand what a mirage is, you know, your, your perspective in a certain situation causes you to see something that, either is is a real object that looks totally different and you can't identify it or you see something that is not really there just the way the light refracts it, it gives you um it, it gives you kind of the image of something that is false mm-hmm. um, you know and, and everybody under, everybody knows that idea of the mirage you see them in the desert you know you're dying of heat stroke and you see the heat causing the the waves you know, coming up and it's like, Oh my God, there's, there's an oasis over there. And yep, look, there's water there's camels and water. And you know, okay. That's a mirage. If, if I'm on the opposite side of the desert, I'm probably not going to see the same mirage that Adam would see.
0: Yeah, okay? exactly.
1: Now we're talking about a guy that's in a plane and a and another guy that's on the ground for something that is potentially ten thousand feet in the air and right. it's a mirage right. that those two people saw that's that's baloney to me that's yeah, a that's a cop-out I'm, answer i i would i would probably accept anything else other than that
0: well and you might as well tell me just come out and tell me i'm stupid <laughs> or, yeah
1: you I didn't mean, really w- see anything
0: yeah, you didn't see Wait, it's. What? It's like that whole, you mentioned Star Wars, wave the hand. This is not the UFO you're looking for. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's such a, it's such a crappy response. I know. To, oh, all you saw was a mirage. Now, I've got a couple crappy responses we'll talk about here in a little bit, too. But it, it that kind of thing, that that bothers me. Yeah. It yeah. really does.
1: But, you know, the the Air Force was new at this. You know, they didn't know what to say. They got they better. They still don't know what to say. <laughs> yeah, but they got better. You That's know? true. <laughs> now, Project Sign was succeeded in 1949 by Project Grudge, which in 1952 became Project Blue Book which was the longest running of the U.S. government's official inquiries into UFOs. Project Blue Book compiled reports of more than 12,000 UFO sightings or related events from 1952 to 1969. Of these, more than 90% were eventually classified as identified, meaning they were caused by a known astronomical, atmospheric, or artificial man-made phenomenon. The remaining number, approximately 6%, were unidentified and included cases in which there was insufficient information to assign the event a known cause. So that 6% out of the 12,000 reports um, were the ones that they couldn't come up with any reasonable explanation at all.
0: So, As if a mirage is reasonable.
1: That's true. But they couldn't even come up with that, you know. They Ugh. just they said we just we don't have an answer. So in essence, Kenneth Arnold's experience directly led to the birth of Project Blue Book, which
0: that's awesome. You
1: know, for for anybody that's done any kind of UFO research or just I, I enjoy reading about UFOs, Project Blue Book is going to come up. Mm-hmm. It's it's going to come up, and this particular sighting by Kenneth Arnold led to that and and i mean we're, we're talking about one sighting that led to the term flying saucer and the development of project blue book which are probably the two most influential things in in the history of ufo reports
0: yep exactly now you know why we had to talk about this that's right case. so i mentioned that i have some other terrible explanations <laughs> for what he saw i only have two Um, but they're both ridiculous. The second being the most ridiculous and Matt, I'll, I'll read here what this says. And then I want to get your thoughts on both of them. Okay. So here's the first one. This says one theory holds that it was a fireball, a meteor breaking up upon entry into the atmosphere. If a meteor hit the atmosphere at a shallow angle to the earth, its pieces would approach the surface traveling almost horizontally. Furthermore, the pieces of a meteor would travel in a chain, like the one Arnold saw. Would shine very brightly and would travel a thousand uh, would travel at thousands of miles per hour. So my thought is, okay, I, sure, but you wouldn't see defined shapes like he saw. You would just see bright pieces of burning junk traveling like that
1: and this 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 theory really does fit to a degree um you know it's logical it it touches all the bases here except for one the most
0: logical that i've heard yet
1: It, it it leaves out one thing kenneth arnold did talk about these uh these crafts Making turns,
0: yep, and going exactly. in
1: and out uh, around mountain peaks, um, and and they were doing so at very odd angles because that was his point that they turned while they were going so fast that you know a human pilot wouldn't have been able to do that. They wouldn't have been able and to withstand the pressure and the force that yep. would have been generated.
0: Yep, and that's how he saw the the top of it when it turned like yeah. that.
1: Well. A, a meteor breaking up and coming through the atmosphere isn't going to turn. Mm-mm. You know, it's not going to take a hard left around Mount Rainier.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay? It's going to smash into Mount Rainier.
1: That's right. So that's, that's where that theory of his story doesn't hold water for me. Now, mm-hmm. you, you got to put a lot of stock in Kenneth Arnold's story to say it's not this. Okay, mm-hmm. and, and that that you know that therein lies the rub. You you've really got to believe Kenneth Arnold 100% and every aspect of his story is is accurate. To say that's not what he saw was yeah. was a meteor because it does fit and it is logical. But if he saw these objects turn the way he describes, then this one falls apart.
0: Right. Now, this next one, it couldn't be put together to fall apart, in my opinion. This is just... <laughs> I, I, I don't like
1: this one. <laughs> this, I love it, though. Uh, this is, yeah. is
0: going to be the new thing. It says, most historians think the objects weren't from outer space at all. Quote, it was probably pelicans flying in formation. Probably <laughs> says, probably Arnold misjudged the distance and thought they were huge objects at a great distance, but they were actually much closer. After all, the boomerang shape that Arnold drew in a picture of the objects he had seen looks very much like a bird with its wings outstretched.
1: You know what? So do airplanes.
0: Mm-hmm. Exactly.
1: <laughs> I mean, there's a reason that planes look like that is because... They they I'd, modeled them after
0: birds. Yep, exactly. <laughs> but exactly. I thought when I read this, I
1: thought, okay, it's not an owl, it's a pelican.
0: Yep. It's a pelican. Yep. <laughs> it's always a pelican. So if it's a
1: cryptid, <laughs> it's an owl. If it's a UFO, it's a pelican. Okay. Yep.
0: There you go. There you go. Uh,
1: I my thoughts on this is that I, I understand that you could see something that you you. You misidentify, but I think that he would have been able to tell that it was a bird of some type that,
0: yeah. With as long as he watched it,
1: right. That
0: or you, them. Would have,
1: you would have seen some, some wing motion. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um. Now, you know, I realize pelicans especially can glide for a long distance, but if you, if you watch them close enough, they're going to have to flap once or twice you're gonna see that um so i mean you know and he he initially thought it was geese Mm -hmm. so why not stick with the geese why has it got to be pelicans i guess because pelicans are a little bit bigger um
0: i guess yeah
1: but i I don't know I, i i guess it could be but it just seems really unlikely to me that what he saw was any type of bird flying in formation I mean, I, th- I think he would have seen enough putting in 9,000 hours in the air that he could have identified birds, mm-hmm. even at a distance, you know, oh, yeah. he would oh, have yeah. realized my, th- my thing was, is he, he admits that he thought it was geese initially. So he looked at it close enough to realize it wasn't geese. Yeah. So if he's in, if he's paying that close of attention to, to be able to go, ah, that's not geese, then why would you go, oh, no, it was pelicans. Oh, pelicans. Well,
0: uh, yeah, I didn't yeah.
1: even consider it to be. What? No.
0: Yeah, exactly. If he
1: if he dismissed the fact that it was one type of bird, why would it be a different one?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. And if the Army originally or the Air Force originally thought, well, yeah, he didn't see geese. He's credible. He knows it's not geese. Why would you then turn around and say, <laughs> Well, you know he can't tell the difference between a pelican and an an aircraft. Yeah. So if he can't tell the difference between a line of pelicans and an unidentified craft, maybe he doesn't need to be flying.
1: Right, and and you remember, hit from his perspective, he estimated these things to be as big as a as a DC four. Yeah. Um. You know, that's. You know, it's not like a seven forty seven, but it's a big plane.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, it's way bigger than a pelican.
0: Yep. Let's just forget about the stupid debunking theories that they brought in. I'm just going to flat out say, I don't think it was pelicans. Let's, we'll just go there. (laughs) Um, but. Kenneth Arnold's incident, it was the first highly publicized UFO sighting, um, that like we talked about it it it's the first one that got the publicity that it got. But after that, because it was so popular, the newspaper started running a ton of other stories about UFO sightings.
1: All right Adam, let's take a minute and talk about one of tonight's sponsors, one of our longtime sponsors. Every plate. Now, for those of you that have been with us a while, uh, you've heard us talk about Every Plate and HelloFresh. Well, HelloFresh owns Every Plate, and they are going to be the the biggest bite for your buck. Mm-hmm. Every Every Plate is America's best value meal kit with delicious dinners that don't break the bank. Plus we have a discount for you that we'll get into here in a minute so with every plate you get to skip the store and and let every plate plan shop and deliver everything you need to cook a delicious meal at a consistently low price adam did you know that every plate is 25 percent cheaper than grocery shopping
0: that's amazing that's great yeah
1: it's incredible
0: think of the money you save
1: absolutely and you save money and get really delicious food and their quality ingredients come pre-portioned to help you save money and reduce food waste you know like like the big bag of spinach that you buy you only need it a little bit and now you've got it sitting there for you don't want to throw it away but nobody's going to eat it. Right. And it goes to waste.
0: Yep. You let it sit there too long and it gets all slimy and gross.
1: Yeah. With with every plate, you don't have to worry about that. You only get as much as you need. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to have a bunch, you know, of extra ingredients left over that you're not going to use. You can, you can choose between 17 recipes that change each week and swap proteins, veggies, and sides to your liking so you can switch up your dinner routine however you want.
0: That's right. And the however you want thing is very true because they have options for everybody. You can choose from classic plate, veggie plate, family plate, easy plate, and all of these are crowd-pleasing meals and you can get a bunch of them so that you can please everybody night after night. And for people that are looking for a quick and satisfying fix, which I, I know a lot of us are, especially when we work all day and then you get home and you're trying to quickly make dinner while the kids are screaming about food and homework and all this other stuff. Every plate offers recipes that come together in just 20 to 25 minutes, as well as easy cleanup options. And that's the good thing too, is most of the time you don't have much to clean up with every plate. You just... Squeeze out the sauce or mix it together and then you just throw it right away. You don't have all these bowls and pans and everything to do. And a lot of times they have a one pot, one pan meal. So very little to clean up. Yeah. Now you gotta think of it this way: one meal from every plate is about the same price as one cup of coffee. Now, if you would if you want to jump on board with us and do the every plate thing. You can try Everyplate for just $1.79 per meal. All you gotta do is go to everyplate.com. That's E-V-E-R-Y-P-L-A-T-E.com, and enter our promo code Graveyard179. G-R-A-V-E-Y-A-R-D 179.
1: Yeah. Have you looked at other meal delivery services and thought, it's more money than I really want to spend? Every plate is right for you. Yep. And you can get started with every plate for just $1.79 per meal. All you have to do is go to everyplate.com and enter our promo code, Graveyard179. That's G R A V E Y A R D, 179.
0: And let's look at some that are from then up to a decade afterward, because this will kind of show you the the UFO storm that happened after his sighting and, and what it allowed newspapers to start reporting. Now, just shortly after his, uh, in July 5th, 1947, in Boise, Idaho, it says, shortly after takeoff on a flight from Boise to Portland, Oregon, United Airlines Captain E.J. Smith and his co-pilot Ralph Stevens see five flying discs. Smith later tells reporters that before his own sighting, he had been skeptical of Arnold's widely reported account. Right. So, I mean, yeah, he saw discs, but two pilots that said they saw something. Now, July 7th, 1947. You should all know this one. This is Roswell, New Mexico. Mm -hmm. Says the Army Air Force reportedly recovers a crashed saucer and alien bodies. The saucer turns out to be a new top secret balloon-borne device intended to detect nuclear blasts. And there never were any alien bodies. Still, conspiracy theories will persist 73 years later. So this article that we're reading... It's taking the cynic side and saying that wasn't anything. It was a weather balloon. But that
1: people now had this idea of alien spacecraft in their mind. And so that led to the Roswell uh, idea that that was a crashed uh, UFO, a, a crashed flying saucer. And again, that term, flying saucer, is used. In the initial media report about the Roswell incident, um, mm-hmm. so the what they're saying is the the whole reason that even was a thing was because just a a, a few weeks earlier, you know Kenneth Arnold had made this report about what right. he saw,
0: right. Now, January seventh of nineteen forty eight, Fort Knox, Kentucky. Air National Guard pilot Thomas Mantle is dispatched to investigate a UFO sighting. The object goes into a steep climb. Mantle follows, but has no oxygen gear in his cockpit. He blacks out after he passes 25,000 feet and is killed when his P-51 Mustang crashes. So whatever he was chasing, he ended up dying from trying to chase and Mm -hmm. catch this thing. And some of these we may have to do episodes on, Matt. Mm-hmm. Now July fourth, or sorry, July twenty fourth, nineteen forty eight, Montgomery, Alabama, the crew of a DC three passenger liner flying from Houston to Atlanta passes a glowing, fast moving, wing- wingless, torpedo shaped aircraft that appears to have two rows of lit windows. Air Force investigators say they probably saw a meteor.
1: That had windows.
0: That had windows, yep, and was shaped like a, a torpedo.
1: So this was the first thing after Kenneth Arnold's report that d- didn't have the term saucer attached to it. Mm-hmm. You know, so yep. so now we're seeing a, a different shaped object, um, but still an un- un- unidentified craft.
0: Yep, it's the tic-tac shape. The, the tic-tac shape, yeah. That has been become um, so popular in media now. Mm-hmm. Now, October 10th, 1948, Fargo, North Dakota, Air Force pilot George Gorman flying a P-51 Mustang chases and is chased by a rapidly moving ball of light. Other pilots flying in the area also see the light. Afterwards, a Geiger counter shows Gorman's plane measures higher in radioactivity than it should have. Now, this is just a ball of light, Mm -hmm. but again, it's made news articles. Yep. There's a lot of reports of UFO or abductees, UFO, people who have seen UFOs or abductees actually getting radiation sickness. Mm -hmm. So this kind of ties into that as well. Let's look at a a couple more here. I'm going to Kind of blow through some of these. This next one, August twenty fifth, nineteen fifty one, from Lubbock, Texas. The reason I want to do this one is because of the debunking part of it. Uh, it. Says professors of what would become Texas Tech watch groups of twenty to thirty bright lights fly overhead. The lights return over the next few weeks, and one student even manages to photograph them. An Air Force investigator would say the lights were actually plover. Or birds.
1: Mm, yeah, birds again.
0: So, yeah, <laughs> birds. We got birds with flashlights again. I think we had that in in our uh, men men lights that mm-hmm. it was birds with a flashlight in its butt. <laughs> That's
1: right. I remember that. Uh,
0: now, July 14th, 1952, in Norfolk, Virginia, two commercial pilots flying a Pan Am DC 4. From New York to Miami, spot eight red, brightly glowing saucer-shaped objects flying in tight formation at 2,000 feet above the Chesapeake Bay. Observers on the ground also see the objects. So, that, again, we got saucer shapes not many years after his um, saucer misquote. Mm-hmm. Now, we've, we've discussed... Something similar to this, Uh, August 21st through 22nd, 1955, Hopkinsville, Kentucky, Mm -hmm. two families report a landed disc-shaped craft near their homes and that they shot at glowing humanoids who peered at them through their windows. Air Force investigators would label the case as a hoax. Yeah. And we talked about that, Mm -hmm. but again, it's a saucer shape or a disc-shaped craft.
1: Yeah. But what we're what we're doing here is we're kind of laying out the the groundwork for what led up to the development of Project Blue Book for the government to begin to fully investigate these sightings. And from 1947 up to 1952, you see where we're getting these these regular routine reports of unidentified flying objects. so this was the government's response was to Mm -hmm. begin to investigate, to create an agency that would look into this research and essentially debunk the majority of these reports. Um, that's how influential this initial report by Kenneth Arnold was. Right. It, it gave people, it, it gave people not only the idea about a UFO, about, craft from another planet um you know aliens watching over us for whatever reason but it also gave them the idea that they could report this right you know right. up until this time they you know we don't have a lot of reports because people didn't report this they were too concerned mm-hmm. with either somebody's going to make fun of me I'm I'm going to I'm going to be ridiculed for this or they didn't even have an idea that this would be alien aircraft. They just thought yeah. it's something you know, it, it, they they would come up with their own solution. So they didn't report it. You know, right. it may be a story they shared with family and it was, you know, passed along, hey, you remember when granddad saw that crazy thing flying around? Mhm. But as the reports started coming more frequently, that's when the government said, we got to, we got to do something, you know, so we're going to start looking into these and, and see if there's anything credible. And, and, you know, as we said earlier, they debunked the majority of what came in. Um, but there were, there were still a lot that they couldn't explain.
0: And there's probably a lot in, I haven't looked through all the blue book files, but there's probably a lot that were credited to birds or mirages or stupid, um, unbelievable explanations. But yeah, I mean, all those cases, like Matt said, the reason we did that is just to prove the, what the Kenneth Arnold sighting started and why we wanted to do this case. Mm -hmm. But I, I mean, I'm interested in what all y'all think about the flying saucer moniker Mm -hmm. and how it got shaped by the reporters rather than Kenneth Arnold himself.
1: Yeah. And, you know, we want to know. Tell us what you think. I mean, do you think the idea of a flying saucer is strictly the power of suggestion, you know, that. Because it ran in the paper, that now what everybody sees is a flying saucer or has that mentality. I mean, you know, let us know. Um, do you have any opinions on what Kenneth Arnold saw? Do you you, you think it could have been, you know, something um, otherworldly, or or do you think that it's pelicans? <laughs> yeah, let us know. We don't think it's pelicans. Um, we're not nope. necessarily saying that it's aliens, um, but we. I think we both believe that Kenneth Arnold did see something that he couldn't explain um mm-hmm. and and he was a pretty credible witness and had someone and else that the military
0: and that the military was unwilling to explain if they could explain mm-hmm. it they were unwilling to give the information on oh no you saw X craft yeah So if you want to let us
1: know your thoughts, um, our Facebook group is the best place for that. It is called The Graveyard. You can find it by searching uh, for Graveyard Tales. You can find us on other social media, uh, Instagram and Twitter. You can also check out our website, which is graveyardpodcast.com. And there you can find links to purchase Graveyard Tales merchandise, everything from T-shirts to coffee mugs. Uh, You can listen to the show. And that is where you can become a patron and get access to all of those bonus episodes, the, the videos, uh, and help the show. And we appreciate mm-hmm. everyone uh, that has done that. It really allows Adam and I to keep putting out more, uh, more content and keep it at the quality that, that we want to produce. We we have really we really, have really dug into old Kenneth Arnold tonight. <laughs> yep. Yep. So I, I think I think we've covered about as much as Adam and I can cover tonight. But um we thank everybody for listening. And until next time, we'll save you a seat in the graveyard.
0: See you soon.